I'm Michelle Sims, and this is the Beauty in the Mess, a community where people who crave a shift in mindset, personal growth, and connection to like-minded people come together to start rewriting their stories. Through engaging, honest, and insightful conversations, the show will help you embrace the mess to recognize the meanings and the lessons it holds and discover its hidden treasures to help you start making a mindset shift. Let's listen, learn, and reclaim who we were meant to be. Hi, friend. Welcome to the Beauty in the Mess. This episode is about Marie Mosley's journey. Marie found herself as a single mom at the age of 14. And due to the fears of her child not having her dad in her life, she tolerated a very toxic and abusive relationship for 25 years. Marie is now on the other side of that relationship and is eager to help other women in similar situations. Marie is a wife, mother, and grandmother, and she has the perspective of knowing what a healthy relationship looks like now. Additionally, she's a school counselor, and she knows what toxic relationships can do to the children involved and what leaving your children behind, so to speak, while you pursue a new relationship looks like from the child's perspective. Because of that, one of her missions is now to make sure that moms and dads bring their children along on their healing journeys. Marie also talks about great things such as setting boundaries, inviting God into your life, forgiveness of yourself and others, among many other things. She also mentions the first step in your healing journey should be an inventory of your own life. Many times we don't give ourselves credit for the things that we've already accomplished in life, and seeing what you've already done can help motivate you and propel you to make the needed changes to progress in your life. Hi, I'm Michelle Sims, your host. I'm just a regular person who, along with my family, have had our share of messes that we too have had to overcome. Along the way, I got curious as to how others get through their messes and even triumph over them. Maybe there's a better way, a faster way. Maybe we can accelerate our own journeys by learning from someone else. That started my pursuit. I think we can all learn from each other through the sharing of our experiences, lessons, and knowledge. So please join me for episode 20 of The Beauty and the Mess called Navigating Divorce with Marie Mosley. Marie is an inspiring author, speaker, coach, and school counselor. Her mission is to help empower women devastated by divorce and bad breakups. She assists women by helping them build their self-esteem, self-confidence, determination, and persistence. She also believes in working on mindset shifts and behavior modifications to help women achieve their goals and find their purpose in life. So without further ado, let's dive right into today's conversation. Hi, Marie. Welcome to the Beauty and the Mess. Hi, how are you? Okay. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming. We're honored to have you today. And I know a little bit about your background, but obviously our listeners don't. So would you want to give us a little bit about your background story? How did you get to where you are today? Wow. Okay. So I am the baby of six children. And I'm a little bit spoiled. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, but truthfully, I'm the baby of six children. We lost my sister when I was 12 years old, her and her daughter. Wow. Two months apart. We lost our dad when I was five. Wow. So it was me and my mom and siblings. But then my sister passed away and my niece passed away two months before my sister did. And so it was a little bit rough after that. So then I found myself as a teenage mom at 14 years old. Wow. Yeah. And I stayed with my daughter's father for 25 years. We had three other children. And that's pretty much what my book is about. My book is about that whole 25-year relationship. 
It was very toxic and there was a lot of drugs, alcohol, mental abuse, things like that, some physical abuse as well. But because of my mother and my sister, I was pushed to go to school. They were not allowing me to not go to school, which ended up being my saving grace because I had gone to school. I was able to get my master's degree in counseling and become a school counselor, a guidance counselor. So once I was divorced, at least I had something to fall back on. And yeah, that's it in a nutshell. And then during the pandemic, I decided to write a book. I found myself helping out a lot of women when they would talk to me about different relationship issues. So I thought I'd write a book about it and maybe I'd be able to touch more women with my story and help them along with whatever they're going through. So that's about it in a nutshell. There's <laughs> a, a lot of stuff in between all of that, but that's a bit of my background. Well, first of all, I want to say I'm sorry for all of your losses. That's a lot of losses for... Thank you any family and for a young child to try to process that I can't even imagine thank you thank you thank you and I'm sorry obviously for the abuse you suffered also but for people who haven't lived through a toxic relationship how do you I don't mean to offend or anything like that but how do you end up staying in a toxic relationship for 25 years no offense at all like I said my dad died when I was five years old and what I did was kind of project my whole situation on, onto my daughter. And I didn't want her to be without her father. And so I just kind of sucked it up and stayed in the relationship so that he would stay around for her sake. Pretty much sacrificing my youth and everything just so that my child can have her dad around. Because it was really, really difficult to have to be without my father. It was difficult for us and it was difficult for me. I love my mom and my siblings, but there were some things that even took place with my siblings that would just have me crying out for my father and wishing that he was there with me to protect me and stuff. So I just didn't want that for my daughter. That makes perfect sense. And I would make excuses and I would make justifications for different things and, you know, just kind of try to accept it. And then after a while, it became, believe it or not, it became like my normal. It became normal for me. I made it seem like things were normal in order to survive it. Right. So was there some fear in that too? Like fear of stepping out on your own or maybe fear of him? I don't know. In the beginning, I had a lot of fear of him when he first started to put his hands on me. When I was younger, I was small. I was like very slim and little. He's a tall, big guy. He was big when we was in middle school. He was big, bigger than the rest of the kids. So there was a lot of fear at first. And then that kind of subsided and I began to fight back. So that's a lot of the toxicity that I'm talking about is that I began to fight back because I didn't like the fact that he was physically abusing me you know and and I had to hide right I had to hide black eyes and hide this and that from my family and you know we ended up having four other children 
And what I was trying to explain to someone else about being in a toxic relationship, it's not that every single day you're going through something, you know what I mean? Right. You might have a couple of good days. You might have a family vacation. You might have a nice Christmas. People that are abusers, they learn these games of oh, I'm sorry, and they bring you a gift, and it's, I'm never going to do it again, and let me make it up to you. They give you their sob stories and different things like that. During the time I was writing the book, I learned something called trauma bonding, where you build a bond with the place of your trauma, with the person that is causing you the, the abuse or the trauma, you build a bond with them for whatever reason you come up with to build this bond with this person. I bet. I used to feel sorry for him. And it was like mind blowing when I learned about trauma bonding because yeah. it was like, oh my God, I see it. You know, it was in black and white for me to understand what I went through because I asked myself the same questions that's why I'm not offended because I've asked myself like why why did you stay I had three older brothers and my sister my sister became like a second parent me and her she was the person I told first that I was pregnant as a teen so I didn't understand myself. Why did you stay? Like, why didn't you tell somebody? You had help. Right. You had people that would have helped you and that would have dealt with it for you. Because as a teen, you're not prepared for these type of things. You're not prepared to be in these relationships like that. Right. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I think it takes a tremendous amount of courage to walk away from any relationship, especially if there's abuse, because there's fear also. And like you said, you still love the person, even though they might be doing horrible things on some days, you still love them. Yeah. And then your whole family dynamics is going to change. I mean, I just think it takes a lot of courage. So I commend you for that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it does. And then I know a lot of people a lot of women are in situations like this and they're scared. They don't know what's going to happen next. Because as I got older, the longer I was in the relationship, it did become scary. Okay, who's going to want me with these kids? How am I going to start over and start fresh? So you do develop a little bit of fear of moving on and moving out of your comfort zone because it becomes your normal. It becomes your comfort zone, even though it's toxic. You get used to the dynamics of it right. and you just roll with what the dynamics are. So unless someone's in it, it's difficult to really understand it, but I get it. I don't think about women like, oh, she's dumb. Why don't she just get out? I get it. You know, I get it. Oh no, never. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it took me a while. It took me a while to really get up the nerve to be like, enough is enough. And also when I started to see that the relationship was doing more damage to my children than good, well, it defeated the purpose of me staying there. Right. It's kind of the tipping point probably, wasn't it? Absolutely. I was staying there mainly for the kids' sake because I wanted them to have both of their parents, but it was doing them more damage staying in the relationship than me moving on now once we weren't together anymore my kids were flourishing we were doing well wow. we mentally started to heal together things were really starting that's why i named my book pretty divorce because 
It was beautiful. After Once I got out of that situation, it was really good. It was tough at first, but it started to really blossom into something really good. Wonderful relationships with my kids. I wasn't on edge all the time, upset all the time, being short with them whenever I'm feeling stressed out and things of that nature. So it ended up being a really good outcome for me. That's great. So I know you said that your mom and your sister, I believe it was, had encouraged you or kind of pushed you to go to school. Yeah. So were you going to school during your relationship or did you go to school after the relationship ended? No, I went to my I went to school during. Okay, great. When I had my daughter, when I told my sister I was pregnant, the first thing she said, she was like, I'm going to help you with whatever you want to do. I'm with you. She was like, but you're going to school. If I have to pay for daycare, whatever it is, you're going to school. So I may have took me a year off because I got a GED and I took the test when I was 17. In New York, you can't have the certificate until you're 19. So I started working and then um, probably around 20 years old, I was like, I got to go to college. This ain't the job that I want. I want to go back to school. School was always a big thing for me and my family. But having the little ups and downs, you had to push you to get yourself back in. And my sister was like, you're going back to school when you going. So I went back to school. And during the relationship, I was going to school. That's great. Yeah. That had to help you when it ended. At least you knew you had that. Yeah. Right? To fall back on. And I definitely am grateful that I did not. And my ex-husband, he had a trucking company. He still has the trucking company that him and I started together. And he was the breadwinner right. for a while. And I'm so glad I went to school and I did not allow myself to stay dependent on him and feel comfortable that our family is taken care of. Right. When we broke up, all of his resources and anything that he had, whether we built it together or not, he left with it and did not try to, he did not try to share or split or do any of that. So at least I have my own career that I could, you know, that I could take care of the kids and do the things I needed to do, continue to pay my bills and stuff. And that's another thing that's hard for a lot of women. It's a, some women do allow their husbands to be the breadwinner. They stay at home, they become housewives. And those are the women that my heart breaks for because they don't have anything to fall back on or it's harder for them to get themselves to get, you know, to get things going. So yeah, I'm definitely grateful that I went to school. Oh yeah, that's fabulous. So do you still think your sister to this day? <laughs> Let me tell you, she's amazing. She sounds like it. She really is amazing. She still is amazing. Her and I are still really close. And like I said, she, so my dad died when I was five. Right. And she's the oldest. So she had a job. So she helped to take care of us. Wow. She provided for us financially. She took on this part of a second parent. Wow. And she doesn't have children. So I'm the closest thing that she has to a child. So yeah, so her and I are really close and she's still really supportive. Awesome. And couldn't have asked God for a better sister, honestly. Yeah, I really could. That's wonderful. Yeah. Definitely something to be grateful for. Yeah. I am. I'm extremely grateful. (laughs) Yeah. So when did you, I know you became a school counselor. Is that correct? Yes. 
So when did when did that happen in your timeline? So in my timeline, I finished my master's degree in 2005, in May of 2005. And then I stayed in New York trying to get a job as a counselor for a little bit. I went on a few interviews and that relationship was like, I had had my fill of it. I had enough. So I said, I want to leave. I want a fresh start, discuss things with my mom and the kids. And I started to make moves for Florida. Oh, wow. Applied for jobs. Yeah, I applied for jobs there. I got a few interviews. By August of 2006, I got my first counseling job in Florida in the elementary school. You're definitely a brave lady. I mean, all the things you do, you have a lot of courage, and that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's amazing that you have you ever experienced where some people could see stuff in you that you don't feel within yourself? Yeah. Because people tell me things and I'm like, oh, y'all don't know. (laughs) Sometimes I'm here going, God, I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. But I left New York. I went to Florida. I was able to get a job very close to my sister. Oh, wow. Yeah, I stayed with her for a little while until, you know, who came back into my life begging and saying, we're going to fix it this time. This is our family. It's a fresh start. And I, I fell for it again. Oh, wow. And got out. Yeah, I got a house with this person. And that lasted a good three years. And then I, it was like, I, this is it. <laughs> it was finally it for me. Finally it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard not to fall for that. You know, you, you want to believe that they've changed. Yeah. And, and you have certain prayers you pray like God, you know, you know, you help. Oh yeah. Cause the most ideal situation is for a mom and dad to be together, raising their kids. Everybody wants that. So I used to pray a lot about it and it, he'd come around as though my prayers have been answered. Until I finally was like, no, you're not it. (laughs) I have to really get that through my head. I talk about it in the book about boundaries. Wasn't until I learned to set boundaries and really, really stick to them, no matter how hard it was, I had to set my boundaries and stick to it with this person. Because if not, he'd probably still be going back and forth right now if I'd allow it. So how do you make yourself stick to those boundaries? Because it's so easy to to give in. Yeah, and you really have to be intentional about it. You just keep telling yourself that this is this. Yeah, you have to come to a conclusion that this is the best thing for you. Because people only will do to you what you allow them to do. And there are people in this world that they won't respect you. They won't respect your boundaries. And you have to show them that I mean what I say. No one buys into it when a person says something and then goes back on their word, says something and then goes back on their word, says something and then goes back on their word. You have to say what you mean and mean what you say. And it's up to each individual. It's no real formula for sticking to it, but you sticking to it. Right. And saying enough is enough, you know? Right. You remind me, I had a guest on It was Megan Hoffman, I believe, but she was talking about if you can't even keep a promise to yourself, Mm -hmm. how can you expect other people to show up for you when you can't show up for yourself? 
It was like, wow, how true. And that's absolutely true. And if you think about it from that perspective, they both concepts line up. Exactly. You keep saying, no, you're not going to treat me this way. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. And then you give in. You get taken for a joke. Right. Because you don't keep your word. And it's, and especially when people see you not keep your word to yourself or stand up for yourself. Some people that will walk over you like a doormat. And he had walked over me for a long time. I'm sorry. You know, because whether I want to say it, was, I normalized it or not, something within me knew that how I was being treated was not okay. Right. Because it didn't feel good. And you can observe other people too in other relationships. Absolutely. You see somebody with a nice, respectful relationship and you know, your heart is telling you that you're not okay. And this is not okay. When you're crying to yourself to sleep night after night, because your feelings are hurt or you're disrespected in some way, shape, form or fashion. So, you know, deep within yourself that it's not okay, no matter how much you want to put up with it or take it for whatever reasons we come up with or excuses up with we know deep down inside that it doesn't feel good I wasn't happy right no matter how much you try to hide it from your kids they're gonna sense it they're gonna hear you at times they're gonna see so you're affecting them as well absolutely it's funny you say that because my son he's the youngest and he would be four and five years old like rubbing me and saying, mommy, it's going to be all right, mommy. Like wiping my tears. Aww, what a sweet. After a while, I was like, this is not right. This is not fair to him. I'm supposed to be coddling and nurturing him. It just wasn't okay. And it wasn't fair. I realized that I was doing my kids a disservice staying in this relationship. Right. My son should not be responsible for my emotions. I had to really pull it together and get out of it because it wasn't fair to me and my kids. They were going through a whole lot of stuff. Right. They were going through a whole lot of stuff in that relationship. And they're supposed to be innocent, enjoying their lives. They're constantly worrying about me and what I'm going through and trying to encourage me. So I didn't like it. I felt their love. And I appreciate it, but I, I didn't like the fact that they had to do that for me. Right. And then I knew as a counselor, <laughs> as a mother, as a human being, I'm supposed to be doing this for you, not the other way around. So I needed to get out of it and let us get into the proper roles. Me be the mother, the nurturer, the emotional support. And you guys get to be the kids. That's a perfect way to say it. So I know you talk in your book about get your mind right and change your life. (laughs) So do you want to explain that to us? (laughs) So that's more about your mindset. For me, when I originally got out of the relationship, I felt like it was tragic. I felt like this was horrible for me to have gone through all those years and this is the outcome. And it wasn't until I changed my perspective and my mindset and said, wait a minute, no, this is a good thing. I started to feel stable. I started to really get clarity. Once I set them boundaries and I was like, I'm done. And I stopped allowing him to occupy spaces in my life where he did not belong, it started to be really good. 
And I don't think a lot of women understand how good it can be on the other side of it once you come out. So that's really what it is about get your mind right and change your life. So besides setting the boundaries, what what did you do to change your mindset? Is it just self-talk? Is it reading other books? You know what? I am a woman of faith. I did a lot of praying, a lot of reading. Like you said, I read a lot of self-help books, a lot of spiritual books. And a lot of it was the fact that I've gone to school. I tell anybody, when I was going for my master's, they would tell you all good counselors have their own counselor, <laughs> right? They tell you your education. I've had professors say your education, this is not for you. This is for other people. In order to help you, you need to find someone else to help. I don't agree with that. I didn't go to school. I have all that, that student loan debt in order for me not to be able to use the stuff that I knew. Right. So all of the things that I learned, I used it for me. I used it for my children. I practiced what I was learning. I was preaching it to the kids and to <laughs> parents that I meet. Why couldn't I use that to help my family? I think that's wonderful. And, and you know what's amazing? If you look at a lot of counselors' lives, if you look at a lot of preachers' lives, their kids are all over the place doing all kinds of things because they focus on helping everybody else and their family suffer. Right. I didn't want that. I didn't want to be that kind of counselor or that kind of person. So everything I knew that I tell everybody else to help their kids and themselves, I just did the same thing for me. And so that's really what happened. I was like, no, nah, this is not a bad thing. This is not a bad thing. <laughs> this is not a bad thing. Life is what you make it. And now I have an opportunity to make something, make lemonade out of my lemons, so to speak. <laughs> so that was it. That's how I helped my kids and everything. I got my kids involved in different extracurricular activities to help them occupy their time and their minds and things that help them build leadership skills, stuff like that. So that's awesome. And your faith, you know, if you brought them up in faith as well, that probably had to help them too. I believe in God and Jesus. So I'm right there with you. I, Let me just stop. I cannot be right here talking to you if it was not for the Lord. I'm telling you. Oh, wow. I don't know how I would have made it. And it's when I met the Lord is when I started to get drawn out of it. When I started to see my value and feel better about myself. And one of the biggest things for me was I was like, God doesn't abuse me. Very true. And he's my Lord. He's my Savior, my Father. Why am I letting this person abuse me? My biological father never, never abused me or put his hands on me. Why am I allowing this person to do this to me? So me learning that the Lord loves me so much started to help me to heal and feel better. And I just didn't want to be a part of it anymore. It wasn't conducive to my faith walk. It just wasn't. Yeah, that's interesting because I've talked to several people who have hit bottom in their own way, in their own life. And I asked them, I'm like, how do you come from the bottom and come up and get to where you are today? And every every one of them has said, I filled myself up with the unconditional love of God. And I started right there. And I feel like I'm hearing the same thing from you. It's pretty awesome. He will help you to see yourself. He'll help you to see that this is not what I want for you. 
This is not what I created you for. This is not okay. Once you have a relationship with Christ, you can't sit in certain situations and be comfortable in it no more. You can't. I believe that. Yeah. So even though I said deep down inside, I knew something wasn't right. When I added the Lord to the equation, I couldn't sit in it no more. I just couldn't swallow it. I just couldn't. And there people say, oh, God doesn't believe in divorce. Well, I don't think that God believes in me being abused physically. Amen. I don't think God wants me to feel suicidal, that I just can't take this no more and I don't want to live anymore. I think he'll deal with me on the divorce thing <laughs> and... and and I could go there and then say, Father, look at what was going on before he'll say, stay there and allow somebody to abuse you that way. I mean, I can't speak for God, but I don't think he would ever want someone to be in danger and your kids in that kind of environment. I Absolutely. I was just going to ask before you said that, if someone tried to flip your religion back on you. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. That people do that, but you know, you did the right thing. You felt it inside. Yeah. When your life is filled, overflowing with joy, and you have peace, me coming out of that divorce was everything that God says he offers to us. Right. Joy, peace. I don't allow people to do those things to me because I have my own relationship with God. I read, I study, I pray. That's awesome. I don't allow people to flip my religion on me. I just feel like, listen. Me and God, he'll deal with me because he does. He does. You know when you're not right about something. Right. I agree. Who do you think that is? People say it's their conscience. I happen to feel like it's God poking at you like that's not okay. <laughs> Don't do that. And then for you, when you got out and you're seeing your kids thrive, you know, that has to be another sign for you that you did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And my kids went through some really horrific stuff with their father because originally it was only me that was, you know, a target. He was pretty good to them. Yeah, he was the good to them and he was a good father. But when he turned on my kids too, right i definitely wanted no parts of him. That defeated the purpose of me staying there. Now my kids are suffering. Mm -mm. So... Yeah, but everybody's doing really good right now. And it's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. That's awesome. (laughs) That's great. So you also talk about forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. So do you feel like you've achieved forgiveness? And is it forgiveness of your ex-spouse, forgiveness of yourself? It's a little bit of both. It's both because I blamed myself a lot. Because you know I have daughters. So when I see my daughters have a rough relationship or something, I automatically feel like it's something that they got from being around me and seeing what I went through because I don't feel like I've shown them the proper relationship they should have with a person of the opposite sex. But now in my new marriage, they get to see it. That's awesome. But they grew up in that first one. Right. So taking work to get them to understand like that wasn't okay. So I had to do a lot of talking and conversations and explaining that I was wrong and I shouldn't have even allowed them to be around something like that. It's my responsibility to take care of them and raise them up properly. But I had to forgive and I had to forgive and I had to forgive him. I had to forgive myself 
And I just don't want to have a grudge with people. I don't want to walk around for the rest of my life being weighed down by what he did, how he did it. I use a few stories in the book to make my point, but I don't use them in the manner that I'm holding on to it and I'm still devastated because I'm not. Right. And if you hold on to it, don't you force yourself to kind of relive it constantly? All the time, all the time. Let me tell you, that is horrible. Exactly. I could have stayed in it if I wanted to relive it or feel it over and over again. Yeah, who wants that? But that's another part of being in Christ as well. He helps you to forgive. He helps to heal your heart to the point that you end up forgiving people. I was telling my publisher... And he was like, no, 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 you're not going to take responsibility. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's okay. I could take responsibility for my part in it. And I understand you want to protect me. <laughs> you, you don't like the fact of what you've heard that this person might have done, but it's okay. He was a teenager as well. I've since learned a lot about his family and where he came from. And some of them are not so nice people. You end up being a product of your environment. And hurting other people because people that loved you hurt you. So now you think that's how life is supposed to be. Right. So what if I say I love you? This is how I've been shown love. The people that loved me hurt me. And as a counselor and all of that, I, I throw every hat that I have into the game all at once. <laughs> like, you know, my Christianity, my counseling, my everything. And then I come up with the fact that he was a teenager as well. He didn't have the best examples right. and role models growing up. Right. So he gave the best he could. So I pray that it wasn't intentional, just meanness. But I understand that he gave the best that he could give. And I don't want to walk around weighted down. I don't. Right. And for our listeners, forgiveness is not saying that it's okay what happened. It's just saying that you're releasing yourself from reliving it constantly. You're just letting it go and move on. Absolutely. He Jakes once said something that stuck with me all these years. He said, unforgiveness is like drinking a deadly poison and expecting the other person to die. Amen. Yeah. Right? So your unforgiveness doesn't hurt the other person. They're living their lives. They're, they're happy. Exactly. People that hold on to unforgiveness, they're not happy. And anything could scratch the surface and you'll see a whole plethora of things come bursting out because they've not allowed themselves to heal and be able to let it go. And like you said, it doesn't mean I have to be friends. I don't even have to speak to the person. Right. If I forgive them, I can have nothing to do with you, but I'm releasing you from holding my heart hostage. Exactly. And it prevents you from moving on, getting into new relationships. Forgiveness just frees you up so much that you can go into other areas and really legitimately have joy and be happy in your life. Exactly. And have gratitude for what you do have. Yes. Yep. And I'm grateful. Look, I went through all of that. I got to write a book. I'm helping some other people. God allows you to go through things sometimes because he wants you to get out there and help some people. I think you're a beautiful example of, of overcoming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
and you broke the cycle yes. and you got out and you got your kids out and you're living a good life. Yes. I never wanted to be anybody's statistic. I just didn't want to be number on somebody's chart of she had a baby and never did nothing with her life and things like that. And where I came from, it, it was a lot of that happening, right. a lot of that happening. So I'm grateful for my mom and my sister because they fought really hard. Like, you're not doing that, you're doing, overcome this. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, kn- I know you also talk about certain character traits that can help you get through almost anything in life. So would you want to share a few of those with us? Um, the w- one you said, being courageous. You definitely are that. thank you thank you life will throw you some curveballs some major curveballs I write in the book that life didn't care that I was 14 years old life didn't care that I was five and I wanted and needed my father life didn't care that me and my sister were like twins 10 years apart but I was her mini me Uh life didn't care that that taking her away from me was just going to make me spiral out so you have to be able to endure you have to have a good endurance you have to be able to persevere through the things that go up and down in life because some days things could be going well and next thing you know the rug is pulled from under you but yeah I definitely think perseverance being courageous not being afraid to move if you have to. And courage is kind of funny too, because you can still have the fear, but you do it anyway. Yep. Yeah. You just gotta do it. Yep. Yep. You have to say no to whatever fears are trying to hold you back. And we all have fears. Oh yeah. You know, we pray and God remove all my fears. Fear don't really go anywhere. And that's why he does tell us to be of good courage because he knows fear is going to try to ride you, period. It's part of your human experience, I think. Yep. And you have to believe in yourself. Really, I really think that a lot of what we go through is because we don't believe we have the strength to overcome it. And we do. So if somebody's listening and they're thinking, well, I don't believe in myself, what would be the first thing you would recommend that they do? The first thing I would recommend that they do is really do an inventory of their life. Because sometimes, right, we've overcome so many things, but then this one thing happens and it just seems so impossible. And if you really go back and look at yourself, we've all been through some things. We've all had to come overcome something, whether it's a loss, whether it's a toxic relationship, broken heart, and oh, you was so in love with this person, you didn't really want to be over, but it is over. And now you see two years later, I'm fine. We are going to be fine. I believe that we're going to be fine. No matter what happens, we're going to be fine. And you know what? A lot of people don't believe in God and he's still with us. Right. He still loves us. People find themselves getting in and through situations and they don't even realize that there's somebody that loves them that much. Whether you believe in me or not, I'm still with you anyway. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Right? Isn't it? <laughs> to me, it's absolutely amazing. It's like so awesome. And I didn't know how to bring that forth in the book. I was trying to tell people, you are never alone. You have somebody that is always rooting for you, pulling for you, praying for you, trying to 
get you through all the rough times that we go through. I just didn't know how to convey it. I was like, how do I say it to them? Like, you're not alone. Because I know there's people that don't believe and I pray for them because he still loves us. Because I know there were times before I gave my life to the Lord. I can tell you countless times that something was working in my behalf. Countless times. And I had not surrendered. I hadn't said, I love you, Lord. I accept you. I believe you. So I really believe that humanity has God on their side. And some of us just don't know it. But I really think that if people do inventories of their lives, because that was something I had to do. I didn't think I can do a lot of things and until I started going, wait a minute, I did this. I did all the paperwork for his business. I started it. I put the money together to get the truck. Because somehow when you go through these horrible things and you stop believing in yourself, you don't really see what you've done. That's true. You don't really see what you've done. But if you do an inventory and kind of go, wait a minute. I, wait, I did do some things. I did make some things work. I did overcome this. I remember when I was younger and this happened to me. So I think that that's the biggest place to start is doing inventory of your life. That's a great place. And learn, because we lose our way sometimes. We do. I've lost my way even after the divorce where I wasn't believing in myself and I didn't think I could write a book. Who's going to want to read it? No one cares what I've been through. <laughs> you go through all these different things, but uh-huh. <laughs> it's important for us to, you know, really start to believe in ourselves. On your journey and writing your book and doing your inventory, isn't there a healing to be found in that? When you say, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. It was up and down because when I had to write about certain things, I would cry a little bit. And oh my God. Of course. Yeah. I cry over Hallmark. (laughs) So I definitely cry over my own life. (laughs) I get it. You understand. But when I was going through it, I'm like, wait a minute, girl, you've been through some stuff. You came out of it and you persevered. You still have joy. A man, a man bought my book. From my girlfriend's mother, she was like, you need to buy my my daughter's book. Friend bought the book. And he read like a little bit in the front and he asked me what it was about. And he read the back page and he was like, let me just say this. For this book to be about what it's about and what you just shared with me, you don't look like any of that. You've been here sitting here laughing with us making us laugh, joking. And I think it's amazing. So you don't look like what you've gone through. You go through things, you come out of it and you just have to keep pushing forward. You have to keep forging forward regardless. And especially if you have kids, because they're counting on you. And it's not just about you when you have kids, it's about you and those children. You pulled them through this mess, you gotta pull them out with you and y'all come out of this thing and heal together. But for a man to tell me, a man, he's like, this is really good. I'm happy for you. He was like, you don't look like somebody that spent 25 years in a toxic relationship. You look like you take care of yourself. And I was like, thank you. I'm like, I appreciate it. Writing the book was good for me. Good. Because it helped me to see a little bit. You know how I said at the beginning, People see things in you that you don't see. Right. When I wrote the book, I did see some things that people usually say that I really didn't see for myself. That's wonderful. That's why the inventory of your life is really good. 
That's true. That's a great idea. It really is. So is there anything else we haven't touched on today that you would want to touch on? Uh, no, I'm really hoping that the book will help women uh, to understand one, you not alone. There's a sisterhood of women that have gone through this. And the same way a lot of us have come out, they can come out as well. And I definitely want women to consider their children. I've dealt with a lot of kids that cry and tell me at school that they're not loved oh. because their parents separate. And once the dad leaves, the mom tries to go out and get a new life. And we just don't want to leave our babies behind. Exactly. Yeah. We want to take them on the healing journey with us. And so I'm just excited. Absolutely. And it sounds like your book could be for, you know, even if the woman isn't going through a divorce necessarily, it could just be a toxic relationship. It could just be trying to find herself Mm -hmm. or she might already be single. She may already be through that. And then just trying to make it through with her children. Yes. It's power packed with a lot of different stuff. (laughs) It's a lot of stuff. My sister was excited about the chapter on finding new love. So it's a lot of stuff in there. It is. And I didn't realize it. I thought I had one thing in mind, but once I came out with a finished product, I realized the book can touch on a bunch of different areas for a bunch of different people and situations even men one lady one other interviewer she was like well can't men read the book is this just for women (laughs) I guess men can read it too so yeah anybody can read it that's awesome so there are any more books in the future do you think oh absolutely absolutely I'm already by the time I published this one I was already halfway through my second one wow and I'm also starting a project with a girlfriend of mine. a very interesting project. So <laughs> I said, it's going to be very interesting. I'm going to stay in touch. So when it's ready, I can let you know. Oh, please do. Yeah, I would love to hear about it. <laughs> I'd love to have you back sometime. We have a whole world of things to talk about. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot going on in the world. And there's a lot to talk about right now. And I would love to come back. So if people want to, if they're listening and they want to connect with you somehow, what's the best way other than obviously getting your book, but how else can they connect to you? So I am on LinkedIn and Facebook as just Marie Mosley. On Instagram, I'm marie.d.mosley. And if they want the book, they can purchase it at theprettydivorce.com. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm working on a coaching program, but I'm trying to flush it out. I'm just different. People say, oh, you could just start and then keep working it as you go. I don't know how to do that. (laughs) So I have to work in a certain way. And I want it to be really good and power packed and informational. So they'll have a lot of information in there. I don't want to do one or two pages. I want it to be really good content to help women be able to pull themselves out of these relationships. So I'm taking my time with it. That's great. Well, thank you for doing all that you're doing. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. Oh, it was my honor. So I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As we wrap up today's episode, I hope Marie sharing her journey has helped you in some way. Marie has lots of experience and wisdom to share. A few things really stood out to me, of course. 
Marie makes sure to mention that God pulled her through and that we all have God on our side. Unfortunately, some people don't believe that, and many of us who do believe still tend to forget that. But we do have God in our corner, and I think that's something that we need to remind ourselves every day. Secondly, the fact that Marie is a school counselor and she started witnessing firsthand what toxic relationships do to our children. She also saw that many kids feel left out or left behind, especially if dad leaves a picture and mom is focused solely on finding a new relationship or vice versa. There is a way to bring your children along on your healing journey, and Marie wants to make sure that everyone does that, man or woman. Lastly, Marie helps us see that happy endings can and do exist that we can create the life we want, no matter what our current circumstances. We just have to put in some work and be diligent and persistent, but it is achievable. And that gives us hope, and there's nothing more valuable than hope. As always, I hope this episode helps at least one person. And with that, I hope you have a blessed week, my friend. Thank you for listening to The Beauty in the Mess. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas you would like to hear about, or you think you would be a great guest on the show, you can reach me directly at thebeautyinthemess.com. Thanks for listening.